I'm Dennis. I'm I'm Dennis, and I'm am an alcoholic. Um, and it is a it is a pleasure to be here. Um, I may yawn a bit. I got up at four o'clock this morning. I forgot that I was speaking today. So um, by yawn, it's not you. It's me. Um, hopefully, you're not yawning as I go through this. But feel free. Um, so. Uh, I, I, like I said, I really do appreciate the opportunity to speak. Uh, Andy reached out to me and, um, it just so happens I was easily able to, uh, I think we talked on Monday to set this up. So it just so happened it worked out well, um, for me to be here. Um, and, uh, all right. So I, I guess I can kind of start from the beginning. I, I, um, was a Navy brat, grew up in, uh, Pensacola, Florida, it's where my dad's family was from, um, so I know all about the the Gulf Coast. Spent uh, most of my formative years down there. I um, grew up in a. Um, my dad was a, a retired Navy, so he was gone a lot. Um, Mom was uh, bipolar. Um, had a lot of challenges managing five kids. They divorced when I was very young. And my dad was married seven times. I think he had some of the challenges we have with life. Uh, uh, he just dealt with it in a different way. Um, so I, I, the one thing I know about growing up is, you know, I, I, I grew up in chaos. I had three older sisters and a mom, and they all seemed like they're pretty much batshit crazy. Um, and, uh, the, the, the odd part about it was, you know, by the time I was eight years old, my mother was taking me to the shrink and I didn't understand that. It's like the rest of y'all are pretty crazy. Uh, obviously, um, you know, the nut didn't fall too far from the tree in my case. Um, and, um, you know, by the time I hit my teenage years, I, um, that that the issues that I was having that my mother was taking me to the shrink for at such a young age started to come out a little differently by the time I, I hit puberty. And it went from just um, oddities to, to violence. And at a very young age, I was uh, I lashed out. I was dirt poor. I blamed everybody for everything. Um, I, um, believed that, you know, I was, uh, um, there was no God at a young age. I was like, why would, why would he put me in this position? Uh, I remember thinking that at a very young age, I was assigning blame to everyone else for my, for my, where I was. Um, so, but, you know, I found a solution to all that at uh, 12 or 13 years old. Um, me and a buddy uh, stole a beer from his dad's cooler. He took a drink and he handed it to me and I drank the rest. Uh, and that was a magical day. And I think most alcoholics that have that first drink that really works can describe that day pretty good. I got four daughters um, and their births are, are magical. I can describe that day to a T. I can describe the day I had that beer and it fixed what was going on inside of me better than I can any day that I've had since. But that was that was well over 40 years ago now. Um, because it, it hit the spot 
I no longer felt that fear, that anxiety that was going on inside of me. The, the, the things that made me respond to people so negatively and strongly, um, I didn't feel that for just a brief period of time. It was gone. I didn't know what it was. I thought everybody dealt with that, but I, I, I didn't realize that it was so heavy on me. Um, I didn't drink every day after that. I, I, I don't know if I even made the connection that that was what really fixed it. I just remember feeling such immense relief. I, um, but I did go on and, and still had a lot of issues. By the time I was 15, um, my mother had, I was living with my dad at that time in Florida and my mother had moved to, to close to Dallas and, uh, and my, uh, those issues came out in a pretty bad fight where a guy got pretty messed up and, and the parents knew that I could, uh, I could go live with my mother in the state of Florida said, you can either go to jail or you can go to live with your mother. So that's how I wound up out here. And, um, and, and when I moved here, um, I, I got into, I got into a lot of drugs. Drinking became a regular part of my life. And by the time I was 16, I was out on my own. I held a full-time job as I went to school, graduated high school. And by the time I was 17, as soon as I graduated, I joined the Marine Corps. And, um, that was probably the best thing besides AA that happened to me. Um, it took me out of where I was at. It got me in with a bunch of people that drank like I did and, uh, and, it, and I fit like a glove. I loved it. It was, um, I was no longer, I, I could be a whole nother person. And, um, and I, and that was incredible. I got shipped off to Southern Spain where I lived for a couple of years and uh, soon after I got there, by the time I was, uh, when I was 18, almost 19, one of the nice Spanish girls I was dating at the time got herself pregnant. Since she was only dating me, it seemed like I was the father. And um, I did the noble thing and married her. I think her parents and her thought otherwise after they got to know me a little bit more. Uh, whether that was noble or not. But nonetheless, we had our first kid. And by the time I'm 19 years old, um, I, uh, I, I thought for sure that I would adjust my lifestyle for that kid. I remember I was, I was training, jumping out of airplanes in, in England when I heard that she was coming and I knew then, you know, I, I jumped out of airplanes about a dozen times already. And, and I had one more jump to finish school. And I, I got the call that um, she was pregnant um, and actually got it in one of those red phone booths in London. Can you believe that? And, um, and I remember then I changed my attitude. I, got, I started getting scared. I, I really cared about my life and I wanted to change. Um, I didn't see that alcohol was a problem yet, but I knew I wanted to be better. Um, but I couldn't. I just, I just couldn't. I um, got out of the Marine Corps. I, uh, before that, I actually um, had to, uh, we moved back to the States. And, um, and whenever I had to go on a ship for six months in Asia, she went back to Spain. While I was on that ship, I, um, 
I was in Korea and I had a bunch of buddies die in a plane crash in a helicopter crash. And we had to go down there and pick up their bodies and everything. And, and I, and I share that story because it really distanced me from God at that time. It was an event that, that I said, you know what, if a God would do that to these good men, I don't want anything to do with it. And I didn't believe, and I, and I really took that stance for a long time. I got out of the Marine Corps, no longer wanted to be noble because I no longer wanted to be married. And so this um, nice, uh, I, I divorced this uh, Spanish girl, but I can't be alone either. Didn't want to be married and I couldn't be alone. And within six months, I'm with God gifts number two that I got to get married to. And sure enough, she got herself pregnant. So there we go again, doing the right thing. Got married um, and endured six years of hell for both of us. We never should have been together. Um, when she was pregnant with our second child, drugs and alcohol had become such an important part of my life. I was studying in college um, that when she was six months pregnant, I left her. It's one of the things that I am probably the, the greatest ashamed of in my life was doing that. Um, but that's exactly where I, I went. I was that selfish that, that I did that. Um, and she was nine months pregnant. She was rushed to the hospital. And, uh, and when the baby was being born, it, it died. I remember I got to the hospital and my mother-in-law was holding the baby. And she turned to me and says, look what you did. She didn't have to tell me that. The life I was living didn't take much for me to be convinced uh, of something like that. I was already carrying a ton of guilt. And, and, and at this stage, I was at this point, I was drinking to for oblivion. I was no longer drinking for fun. I was no longer drinking because I liked the party anymore. I was drinking for oblivion. I didn't want I didn't want to live. And, you know, I'm all of 28 years old. Um, I've now believed that I have caused the death of my child. Um, and, and I went on a bender. I left Dallas. I went down to my old running buddies in Pensacola and pretty much stayed drunk on the beach for two weeks and, um, came back. Um, and, and for the, for the first time, suicide became a real option. It had always been an option. Killing myself was always an option. It was like a default thought process for me. Right. You break up with me, well, I'll kill myself and I'll teach you a lesson. You fire me, well, I'll just, that's what I'll do. That's, that's where I would go. And, uh, and, but now that I had ruined the lives of, of two of my daughters, um, I felt the guilt of the death of another daughter. Um, and I can't seem to get it all together. I think the only saving grace at that time is I, at the same time that was happening, I was graduating college. But even with a college degree in economics, I, I get out and all I can do is hold down a $5 an hour job and pretty much stay drunk for months on end. And um, soon after that, again, I can't stay, I can't stay alone for long. I meet God gifts number three. And within a month of us dating, she gets herself pregnant. And I tell her, okay, I'll do the noble thing. She says, no, thank you. I see how that works in your life. I'm not interested. <laughs> I think we can just date and I'll have this kid. 
Um, a year later, we did get married. And for the first time, I knew I was truly in love because I thought to myself, if she has a problem with my drinking, I will stop. I had, that had never crossed my mind before. I had never thought that I needed to truly stop. I'd never really tried to stop. Um, I mean, I guess I knew I needed to stop, but I, it was never an option for me to do that. But now I truly loved her and I wanted to stop. Um, three years later, that time came and went. She said, it's becoming a real problem in our marriage. And I think it's time for you to, to get some help. And um, so I came into the rooms of AA for her, not for me. I came in and that was April uh, 9th, 2001. And uh, I remember coming in and looking at the steps on the wall and hearing that I had to do these steps and looking at them and going, well, I'm not going to do the ones with God in them. That's for sure. Right. Because that's not my game. I don't play that. So um, I pretty much had done them in my head before the meeting was over and um, came out and I thought I should go tell some people I'm sorry and that wrap it all up. Um, and as you can suspect, that wasn't very effective, keeping me sober, to say the least. And I, um, I went on to um, um, spend a year in the rooms. I had uh, a lot of other help at the time. I was starting to make a lot of rounds to psychiatrists, getting a lot of help from them and prescriptions, as well as prescriptions that let's just say you don't fill in pharmacies and um, to help me get through the day uh, to stay sober. I was doing a lot of this other stuff and uh, I didn't drink. I wasn't drinking four days shy of a year. Um, but that day came and that was bound to come. Um, uh, and I, um, and this time when I went back, when I went back out, I was like, I'm going to protect my drinking. I'm not going to let you people take that away from me again. And I, and I worked hard at that for a few years. I was out and at first I was able to, to do pretty good with it because I was on guard all the time. And then it ultimately got to a point to where I couldn't, I couldn't manage that very well. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't ever get, the, I got the point when you said about the allergy, the physical powerlessness, that made a lot of sense to me. It made sense from the beginning. Once I start drinking, I can't stop. And, and, I, and I got that when um, people explained it. But when you talked about the mental powerlessness and that obsession that we have for alcohol when we haven't drank, I didn't get that as much because I still had some power. I had power of when I would pick up a drink. I didn't have power of if I would pick up a drink. That was going to happen. Once I, you know, it's, it, 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 I could wait until tomorrow some days. That was a good day. But I always waited until it was convenient. And if you can wait till it's convenient, and you have the power of when you pick up a drink, you can, you can save yourself from a lot of the repercussions that comes from drinking. Like, you can keep jobs because you wait until the end of the day to pick up a drink. You cannot go to jail because you don't drink and drive as much. You, you can set up your surroundings to protect. And that's what I did. Um, and uh, but ultimately, I started to lose the ability to control when I would pick up a drink. The progression of the disease got to that point. 
and I um and I started to pick up at, at the at the most inconvenient times, uh, and and bad things started to happen as a result of that. I um. I, I had a series of events that led me to, to go into the rooms, uh, come back to the rooms. That didn't work out so well. I went back out. Um, I, I was actually in for another year and a half. Um, and um, I, I tried to do more. I still couldn't accept God. I still had a problem with that. Uh, I did a lot of service. I supposedly did the steps. Didn't do a heck of a lot of amends, but I did some stuff. And, um, and after a year and a half, that didn't work anymore. And I proved that meeting makers don't make it. I don't believe meeting makers make it. I believe the people that do what's in this book makes it. Um, do I need meetings? Oh, yeah. I need to be around you people. You people are as sick as I am, and I need to be around my sick family. That's the bottom line. I, I need to hear your crap just like you need to hear mine. And we need to, we need to have that herd instinct. Um, but just going to meetings just didn't cut it for me. Just going to meetings and not drinking. I didn't, that infers that I got the power not to drink. I, I don't have the power not to drink. I lost that a long time ago. Um, so I went back out and uh, fell off the ski cliff pretty quick. Um, my drinking escalated like it had never before in the day. And then there was a day that I, um, I always had to take my daughters, my two daughters back to my first two wives, um, in East Texas. So I'd drive an hour and a half to drop them off on Sunday afternoons. And my regular MO was drop them off as quick as I could get a six pack down it before I got home and then cover that up if I could for my wife. Well, this day I had to make another errand when I was out in the country. So I decided I got another 30 minutes out there. So I think I'll get a 12 pack. That makes sense. That's alcoholic math, isn't it? By the time I got in the store to pick up a 12 pack, I decided I deserve a 12 pack of tall boys. Um, an hour and a half later, those all 12 of those tall boys were gone. That's a lot of booze in a short period of time. And I had not dropped off my kids yet. I came up over a hill. There was nowhere for me to go. And I flipped a car with my two kids in it. One of the worst days of my life is watching the ambulance um, paramedics take my kids out of the back of that car with their necks supported um, and put them in the ambulance. Five miles down the road, I had thrown all the empties out. So I didn't have any evidence of that. And I knew I was about to see my ex-wife, so I had to put gum in. And so I kind of made it by the EMTs and the police on the scene and uh, got to the hospital. And I waited to go inside, let, the, let them take care of the kids. But I was pretty banged up. I couldn't walk straight. And um, ultimately, they made me go in and get checked out. And, and the doctor took my blood and he came back. Um, the cops came by and gave me a warning for reckless driving. They left. And then the doctor came back and he said, well, we got your blood work back. He says, you're twice over the legal limit for alcohol. And you got cocaine and marijuana in your system, which was pretty common in those days. That's what I did. Um, and then I, I decided that, you know, it was pretty much uh, I was done. I couldn't live with that. And I'd love to say I have one of those really cool stories where I say that did it for me. 
I now have the power. I quit drinking. I'm done. I had less power then than I ever did before. I couldn't live with myself and I was stuck with, with this fact. I've already at fault of killing one of my kids. I believed it. And I put two more lives in jeopardy. Fortunately, they came out with a few stitches and not even any broken bones in the event. But I, I almost wish I would have went to jail. I did wish I go to jail at the time so I could pay a penance for what I'd done because I was just living in hell. And then I had to drink nonstop. And of course, the doctors gave me a prescription for pain meds, which helped that quite a bit. And I'm, and I'm dying. And I know that um, I, I, I have nowhere to go. I came back from a trip because I, I, I worked in Latin America a lot at the time. And I came back from a trip. And um, while I was on the trip, I, had, uh, I stayed over the weekend in uh, Argentina. And I, and, I, and I got a cabin. I just planned on staying drunk down there. And on Saturday night, I um, had drank three bottles of wine as drunk as I could possibly be. And, and it wasn't working no more. I think it's the scariest day in an alcoholic's life when the solution doesn't work anymore. And if you ain't drank to that point, I, I think it, it's, it, it's, it's, it was the most scary. I thought it was scary when the accident happened, but what was scarier is the fact that my solution wasn't working anymore. I wasn't drunk. The pain was unbelievable, physical, mental, spiritual. I wanted to die. And the only reason that I stayed alive is either because I'm too chicken or I wasn't creative enough to come up with a way to kill myself to make it look like an accident, my family be taken care of. So I came back from that trip and I decided I was going to go back to AA. I didn't come back to AA because you people could help me. I'd already proven that wasn't possible. I'd been in twice before. I had had two different sponsors because when I came in the second time, I got my sponsor sponsor because obviously he didn't get the message very good or he would have got me sober the first time around, right? So much my sponsor sponsor. He didn't work either. And I, um, so I, I, I come back in because I, I, didn't, I didn't think I would get the solution. I just came back in because I had nowhere else to go. And um, we, we, a lot of us, when I was in, we'd go to this men's conference in Southern Oklahoma. And um, it just so happens right after that, um, the guys are going up there and they convinced me to go. I wasn't real keen on it. Um, and uh, at that time, I was have heavily medicated. Um, I needed to have, I had antidepressants, two forms of antidepressants, two kinds of anti-anxieties, not all prescribed by the same doctor. I'm clever like that. And two types of sleeping medications just to survive, just to get a few hours sleep a night. And, and that was helping me stay sober, if you will. And, um, and I, I went up there and, and I'd wanted to leave early on Sunday because one of those prescriptions was getting dry. And I knew I had some others at home. But they convinced me to stay. And I heard this speaker, Gary Brown at Indianapolis. You ever heard him? He's a great speaker. Um, and he talked about, um, he talked about doing amends. He talked about doing amends when he was 20 years sober, he went and did another inventory. And as a result, he, um, um, saw that he owed a big financial amends, talked to his wife and said, we got to sell this big house. And they moved into a trailer after he sold the big house and he paid off his big financial amends. 
money was always important to me. So that really struck home that somebody would be willing to do that when they didn't have to. Um, and it said there's something else that I haven't done in this program. And it was the same thing that Dr. Bob didn't do, and he got drunk, right? Our AA birthday is June 10th, 1935, because that's when Dr. Bob went out and did his amends after he got drunk, after, after getting sober. And I knew that was a, something that I was missing in mind. I came back, and this old boy came to our group, and he started talking, and, um, and everybody was telling me that, that I need to go listen to the speaker. And I thought... Um, he, he just sounds really good. And I knew a lot about the big book. I'd been in, I'd studied the big book. I could quote pages. I had a ton of knowledge about the big book. And there's nothing worse than somebody that's had a ton of knowledge and no experience as a result of the big book. Because they use it as a weapon. And I was the best at using it as a weapon. I beat people over the head with, the, with words of the big book all the time. And so I wanted to straighten this old boy out. Who does he think he is coming to my group and making people like him more than he likes me? Right. And I went in there to straighten him out and I'm listening to him. And it took me about five minutes before I started crying. And I realized I'd found a sponsor that I needed. He, he, his words rang true to me and come to find out his great grand sponsor was Gary Brown. That just so happened. I ran into a few months before they were saying the same message. And they were talking about doing the steps as they're outlined in the big book. I'm like, well, that's a novel approach. Didn't think about doing it like that. I thought that just sitting around meetings, listening to you find folks and how you did them, I could interpret and that would be all right. And, um, and he went, started meeting with me on a weekly basis. And as he convinced me that having a physical allergy, having being powerless physically over alcohol, because I have an allergy and I have absolutely no way to control the amount I drink once I introduce alcohol to my system. And because I have a mental obsession, and I believe that mental obsession started the first day I had that beer and I had that spiritual experience with that beer. And that obsession, you were never going to pry me away from alcohol because it fixed me inside. And I had that mental obsession. And as long as I have a mental obsession over alcohol, and I'm going to pick up stone cold sober. I make the most insane decision. And that is to pick up a drink, knowing that once I pick up a drink, I can't stop and I can't drink safely. That's insanity, especially knowing the actions that had happened to me before. And he convinced me of that. I could see that he used what was in the book and my story for me to understand that. And as a result of it, I had no choice but to accept step two. Step two, for anybody that has a challenge with it, isn't the problem. It's the point that you're not convinced of step one yet. You're convinced of step two and you got no choice but to accept God's help. That was my experience. And it wasn't long after that where I became willing to turn my will and life over to this entity because obviously I wasn't managing mine very well. With that power that I gained just in those few short weeks of going through that and understanding it, I was, I was able to do an inventory for the first time. And I was able to look at things like my child's death only with the power of God. I couldn't, I couldn't look at that alone couldn't talk about that. I could, couldn't divulge, I didn't divulge that to anybody. 
And I did a complete inventory. And, and then I had to do a fifth step. And I did all the fifth step, told him everything else except that accident. See, the only people that knew that I was drunk the day of the accident was me and the doctor. He didn't do anything with that. I was scared to death to tell him. But I went out ahead and told him. And as a, as a result of that, he told me, now I want you to go and do your fifth step with someone else that you know in the program. I did. And I told him about the accident. I got freer of it. A few weeks later, I'm talking about it in a meeting. Like, what the hell is this? I grew up under the premise, this, the, the social media, thank God it wasn't around when I was drinking. Because I grew up on the premise, if you weren't there, you did not have a need to know. And now I'm divulging some of my deepest, darkest secrets to you people. And I'm getting free of it. I um, and, and before you know it, I'm speaking about it in meetings. And I wound up doing, telling my story. And I helped a guy one time. And he decided to um, he come and talk to me after when I explained that story from the podium. And he said, will you help me? Because I'm up for vehicular manslaughter for drinking and driving. And I'm going to prison. And I want to be free of this before I go to prison because I know I'm going to drink when I come out. And he got free of it before he was sentenced and he carried the message behind the walls. And for seven years that he served his sentence, he was helping other people with this. My story helps other people. And um, now he's part of the group that uh, he and I are, are lead on a book study on Sunday morning. If anybody wants to join, you got my information. Please let me know. It's a great book study. Anyhow, I went on to do all of my men's and I saved. Um, I had some miracles happen. 153 people were on my inventory and I had 150 miracles happen. And I believed in, as a result of that, I finally believed in God. Like I, like you can't, you can't shake my foundation on my belief in God because of what happened in my amends. I say my last one for the end, as it was, it was, that was it was a real challenge to go to my ex-wife, making amends for um, leaving her while she was pregnant, and. Um, and I, I went to her and I told her, um, you know, I, I did my men's and I, I didn't want to talk to her. She was she was not a very nice person um, beyond just for me. She wasn't nice to just about anybody. Um, and we had a pretty tumultuous relationship. But I went to her and I and I um, started I told her uh, and made a complete amends. And I was taught to not just go up there and say, I'm sorry. I actually try to get, I'm sorry out of the vocabulary, right? Saying I'm sorry that people have heard that crap from us forever. Nobody wants to hear I'm sorry for me anymore. They want to hear what I did. What did you do? And I'd said it. And then I said, what else is there? How did this affect you? And what do I got to do to make it right? And I hated asking her what I got to do to make it right. Cause I thought for sure she was going to break out a scroll that would roll across the floor and she would have a long list of stuff. Right. She had two requests. She said, I'd like pictures of my daughter that went to live with you in her teenage years. Whenever she lived with me, I always gave you pictures, school pictures. We had a, an ugly custody battle. And uh, I said, screw you. I don't got to do that um, before. So I said, OK, I can do that. I went home, made a nice album, gave it to her. That was lovely. She said, I also want you to go put flowers on our dead baby's grave. I know you see that's I knew I knew she would ask for something that would be painful to me. And I went back to my sponsor and I said, I told you if I did this amends, what she would do. I knew it. 
She's just trying to cause me more pain. That's the way that she is. He said, I don't know. I think you got to pray on that. I knew then he was a quack. Um, and I went back and I prayed on it. And um, I decided, all right. You know, I'd left that cemetery about 15, 16 years before. And I never planned to go back to that cemetery. I couldn't. I, I, when I would ride by it on the road, I would feel it. Couldn't go back to it. But I went back and I was taught to have a card with my amends on it. And I read my card to my baby's grave and an overwhelming sense of peace came over me and the feeling that this baby's feeling no pain and she was perfectly all right and right where she needed to be. And God came to me and spoke to me that day. Like I cannot describe. I cried like a baby. I, I had this immense load taken off me. I didn't realize how heavy that load was until that very moment. And it was gone. It was gone in an instant. It was, it was an experience that I can't describe any more than I just did. But I can tell you that that is one of the key things that has, has um, made me believe and continue to believe and know that I've got to do this deal to help as many people as possible. I um, had a few other amends. I went to her, her brother, who was, who was my drug dealer for a period of time, and I went and talked to him, and he said, I, I said, hey, man, I need to make an amends. He said, I'm glad you called because I'm in NA, and I need to make an amends to you. And we sat down and repaired a relationship. And I have tons of stories like that. I had some people that weren't interested in talking to me anymore, but I had a lot of people that, that were interested in what I had to say. They called me up years later and said, can you help my son now? Because I know, are you still doing that deal? I saw the power of God when you came to me and did amends to me. Are you still doing that? Can you help me out here? And I've had that happen again and again and again. The book says at the end of the seventh step prayer, now we go out to do God's bidding. We go out to do his bidding. We do amends to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. I think I'm going out there to clean up my life. And I'm actually going out there to do God's work. I'm in a training program to learn how to love. I'm in a training program to understand what empathy truly means. And as a result of going out there and making these amends, I get to experience God through other people. And I'm removing the blocks, right? It says before the fourth step, we need to get what's blocking us from God. And what's blocking me from God is the things that I have done to his children. And if I can remove the blocks between that, that I've done to other people, I get to experience the full glory of God. That's what happens in amends. That's what the book promises. And it says these things happen sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. If they, they always materialize, we work for them. The sometimes slowly is a result of me doing them slow. It's not a, well, it might happen or might not for you. If they're going to happen slowly, it's because I do them slowly. If I want to see those promises happen quickly, I need to be doing them quickly, one after another, because I'm a skeptic. I need to see evidence of God again and again and again. Having that happen 
and going through that, you know, that, that instance with my ex-wife and going out there, you know, you can't script that. There's, there's no formula out there that scripts that. She didn't know what she was doing whenever she sent me out there, I don't think. The person that I hated the most, it says that we go to the people that we hate the most. I believe that other, other than that one little thing of leaving her when she was pregnant, she did a lot more to me. And I hated her. But I realized I hated her for what I did to her more so than I hated her for what she did to me. And me going through that process, I stopped hating her. As a, and, and you can't script that. There's no Hollywood script out there that could plan that out. We don't know what's going to happen. There's, a, there's a magic that happens when we turn ourselves over to this process. And, and that's what happened with me. I, um, 2018, our daughter got married. Um, and I um, walked, obviously walked my daughter down the aisle and I toasted my ex-wife at her wedding. Would never been capable of doing that. I toasted the woman um, and we had an incredible relationship. This past Father's Day, she sent me a long text to say what a great father I am. That's a, that's a type of, that's, that's God's gifts that we get from doing this deal. As I'm doing nine, I'm learning I'm learning how to enter the world of the spirit. It says after we do nine, we entered the world of the spirit. We're in step 10 and step 10 and 11 is, is teaching me how to live in a world I've never been in before. I'd had 40 something years of operating in the world of the material. I know how to operate in the world of the material. And that is that I need to get more of the pie before you get some of it. I need to do you over before you do me. There's only so much out there and I got to take what I can get. That's what I was trained in the world of material. What I've learned in the world of the spirit is that, that I only get to keep it if I give it to you. That's how I get to keep this stuff is I give it to you. I give it to others. And the more I give, the more I get. That's a whole nother concept. Empathy and how I treat people. I learned that in 10 and 11 because I learned it from me screwing up. You can't tell me what to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. Trust me. In my inventory, my bosses are on every inventory I ever had. There ain't nobody on the planet can tell me what to do. Not even my sponsor. But my own mistakes can show me what I need to do if I follow 10 and 11 on a regular basis. I can see when my stuff's creeping up, I have a, I have a method to change it and do God's work. Step 10 takes my crap my selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear goes through a process. At the end of it, it says, turn your thoughts to someone you could help. And that's what I need to do. It turns my crap into God's work. It's a miracle every, every time it happens. And of course, doing uh, step 11 and critically looking at stuff at night, learning how to pray, learning how to meditate. I pray for what shirt to wear in the morning now. Cause I don't know what shirt to wear. I know the shirt that I think you might like me in and I should wear for that meeting and that person. And I can spend 15 minutes brewing over a shirt in the morning. I let God make that decision too. And the more decisions I let God make a lot better life I have. That's what I learned in 10 and 11. Then it says, when we get to 12, there's only one prerequisite. 
to, to working with others. And it says that in the first third of the 12th step, having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, that's the prerequisite to carrying this message throughout our call. I don't need a timetable on that. Actually, the book says putting those, Bill, Bill put his um, ideas into action at once, Dr. Silkworth said. The sooner I get to sponsoring people, the better. I need the big book. I need to follow it, just like my sponsor did me. I need a spiritual experience. That's the two things I need. And it says, I tried. The second part of the 12th step is we tried to carry this message to alcoholics. I don't get the res- I don't get to make the results. That's between God and you. But I try with the book and my experience, armed with the facts about myself, I can help other people. And for the last 12 years, that's what I've been doing, is I've been helping other people the most that I can. In that 12 years, I spent five of it here in North Dallas. After that, I got a a job in London, England. I went over there and worked for a year, and I carried the message there. After a year there, they asked me to go to Ireland for a year, and I carried the message there. While carrying the message in Ireland, I had three months left there. And I hadn't really had a lot of sponsees, but I had this one guy that showed up at my, my meeting, a meeting of the group that I went to. And he was my neighbor from two doors down. He was at our local group. I'd watched him drink. I knew he was a candidate for the program, but now he was in AA. And he wanted me to take him through the steps. And I said, we got three months because I'm moving. We got to get it on. We got it on. And let me tell you, you get some mediocre groups out there in Ireland from what I saw. Not passing judgment, just that there's some just meeting makers make it and and not a lot of focus on the big book. Brian got sober. I moved back and he started a group out there. That group I spoke at this past Saturday, 60 members strong on Zoom, and he's carrying the message like nobody's business. He's got all of four years sober now. And that's the beauty I get to see. I get to see a miracle happen again and again. And I've got to keep doing that. It's not a drug. Some people say, oh, some people act like sponsorship's a drug. No, it's evidence that God continues to work. I get to see spiritual experiences. I get to see a broken person come into my office. We sit down for a period of time and I get to see the light come on in their eyes. And that is incredible. I have four daughters, and I try to practice these principles in all my affairs and teaching them as best that I can. They're all grown, married now. The last one gets married in a couple of months, and um, I have four son-in-laws that I have lunches and coffees and dinners with on a regular basis. Tomorrow morning, I'll, I'll ride Peloton with one of my daughters, have lunch with her husband, and then I by uh, my other daughter and her husband I'll have dinner with tomorrow night. And that's, that's my life. I am committed to them. I'm committed to the sponsees that I have. And I am a damn good employee today. I'm a good boss. Not, not because of what I'm capable of, because I've already told you what I'm capable of. I'm capable of getting drunk and, and living on the streets. That's where I, I, I was, was at at one time. But this is I'm capable now with the with the relationship with God to do all these things. I've got an incredible relationship with my wife of 25 years who stuck around after having that third kid. And and it's 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 a life that I'm not it's not I don't have the power to bring about. 
I don't have the power to stop drinking. I don't have, I can't fight that. I do have the power to do these steps. And as a result of it, I, I no longer am plagued with that disease anymore. I still have alcoholism. I'm not cured of it, but I don't have the things that cause me to crave alcohol anymore because I have an ample substitute. That's my story. Um, I didn't, I don't know if anybody was asleep. They were all off camera, but um, uh, the Jenny and Steve say, stayed awake. So I guess I'm good. And that was awesome, Dennis. Thank you so 